you gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you wanna be judged on wood grain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next when they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy ice cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling dimes. Yankee Stadium's lights turned the attention of passerbys onto his neighborhood court. Crowds would form, and from there, our guest and his boys would put on a show to hear them cheer. From these humble beginnings, this Puerto Rican kid started to generate a buzz that, with the inspiration of Gary Massey, helped him build a solid career as a player at St. Raymond High School. From there, he went on to play at Monmouth College and later joined the NCAA coaching ranks as both a head and assistant coach for schools like Memphis. He was an assistant on Calipari's bench on the juggernaut Memphis Tigers squad that featured Derrick Rose and Chris Douglas Roberts. Today, he's an assistant to coach Frank Martin on South Carolina's men's team. Rock with us as we take you through the basketball story of Jose Chucky Martin. Yo, what up? This is Manny Digital. This is Emilio the Poet. And with us today, we've got, not only is he a St. Raymond alum, not only is he a Monmouth alum, but he's also the assistant coach currently at uh, South Carolina Gamecocks, as well, for those of you that can see this, <laughs> uh, Mr. Chucky Martin. Yeah. I'm happy to be back home. I appreciate you guys having yeah, me. Yeah, Bronx, New York's own. Yes, yes, yes. I'm yes. Right. I'm you might not be guy. able to tell because he's refined his, his uh, demeanor and his speech. He's got, well-traveled. Yeah, I've got a good friend here at St. Raymond's who helped me years ago, Jim Sturgis. Yeah. Oh. I was a young teacher here, and he kind of guided me through, and I'm the final product because of Jim. Yeah, All part of right. it. Part of it, nice. sure. That's the man. That's the man. That's oh, nice. yeah. So, so, Chuck, I know we just happened to have you in, in city of New York, so yeah. thank you for, for you know making a detour and stopping by here. Yeah, nice. thanks for having me. Um, I, I want to start because you were at St. Raymond – teaching I, w- I want to say when I was here I don't think you were my teacher or anything like that but how long as a teacher did you spend here at St. Raymond and what in what capacity I was here for four years teaching okay. and prior to that I was at LaSalle Academy down in the village lower east side on 2nd Avenue and 2nd Street okay. mm-hmm. so I taught there for three years taught here for four years and really what happened was I was living maybe like four blocks from here okay oh. in, in Park Chester yeah okay. in that area and um, the commute was tough. You know, I was, I was driving in. I was young, and and I wasn't making any money. Time out, time out. Back up. You were driving into the city. I was driving into the city. Because you was, because thought I, you was hot shit back then? Yeah, because yeah, I was young. <laughs> yes, that's exactly okay. right. Because I got a new car, and I that's thought it. I was cool. Okay. I was so like, there's no logical reason why you right. got to bring a car to the city. So I'm driving in, and shortly after, you know, two or three trips in the city, you realize there's no parking. And yeah. if there is parking, they're going to charge you 50 bucks. So I did well, it for three years, and then there was an opportunity to teach here. Okay. And it was like, man, I can walk to work. Right. And I can walk home. And then, you know, after three years, it were really three good years at LaSalle Academy. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot, met, met some really good people. And then, but, you know, the opportunity to come back home to St. Raymond's where I went to school, 
was uh, was great. Yeah. So I, the minute they said there's an opportunity, I jumped all over it. So you were were you only teaching, or were you also into basketball coaching and doing other things? No, at LaSalle Academy, I was teaching, but also uh, coaching the freshman team. Okay. And I had a homeroom, and I had uh, I was teaching two uh, global history classes, a business math class, and at that time, I had two young players who were eventually turned out to be really good and one in my homeroom and one in my uh one of my classes okay. my business math class that had a guy by the name of Shamgard Wells Ooh. who was like you know iconic New York City point guard now yes sir and then in my other uh class I had a kid who you could tell he was going to be good you just didn't realize how good at the time a guy who's now uh, met a world peace but back then he was wow. on our test word wow yeah. Yeah. so those two oh, guys, that's right yeah he did go to LaSalle yeah okay he was, a, he was wow. a freshman in my uh in my homeroom class, and Sham God was uh, in my uh, business math class. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But you saw the potential in both those players at the time. Well, you yeah, for sure. Something. Sham was kind of established established at the time. Okay. You could tell he's, he, he was one of the better guards in the city. Mm-hmm. He was on the verge of becoming a McDonald's All-American. Right. And then in the morning, I would work him out. I was still young. I was in my 20s. I just graduated from Monmouth. So I could still mess around a little bit. So in the morning, him and I would go in there and we would work for like 40 minutes before the bell rang. Nice. And then he would go to class, you know, I would go to class. But then Ron, our test was completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Aber at the time was the head coach and he was, he was real generous with me. And he says, hey man, we'd love to have you be a part of the program, maybe teach, uh, maybe coach the freshman team. So great. So at the time I had a guy named Michael, man, I can't think of his last name, but Mike, who just retired from LaSalle. Mm. It's amazing. Oh, wow. He was uh, he was my assistant, and he was a really good dude, and he just wanted to be a part of it. And uh, so we're having a tryouts, and we got this kid, Ron Artest. He's on the team. Freshman uh, year. Freshman year. Yep. So, like, t- a week into it, I remember grabbing Mike, and I said, I said, Mike, come here for a minute. He said, what's up, Chuck? I said, man, I don't know about the kid, Ron Artest, man. And he immediately, like, reacted thinking – that I was saying something negative. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, no, I'm telling you, Chuck, he's great. This guy's unbelievable. He, look how big he is, how strong he is. I said, no, no, Mike, I'm, I'm saying to you, we won't keep him. We're not going to oh. have him. He's like, no, no, the kid wants to be here. I said, Mike, he's going to be on the varsity. Right. I said, there's no way we're keeping that kid. So like a week later, Billy Aber, he's, a, again, another legendary New York City coach. Mm-hmm. He calls me up and, hey, Chuck, I need to speak to you, man. Come to my office. So I come up and he's really to the point, real stoic, if anyone knows Billy Aber. He's like, hey, man, I'm happy you're here. That's awesome. Uh, Ron Artest will no longer play with you. He'll be on our team. <laughs> yeah. And then that was it. He was like, all right, now get out. <laughs> so, so you weren't devastated because you already yeah, knew. I kind of knew. I saw it. You know, he's 6'5". He's like 100 and – he's a freshman. He's like 180. He's bigger than me, like physically bigger right. than me. And um, so you could see, like, the way he moves. He was a little stiff. But he played hard, and he got to the rim. And I'm like, there's no way that kid's staying on the mm, air, wow. on the freshman team. Wow. And sure enough, Billy moved him up. And then I want to say between Ron and Shamgod, they won city championship. And I think, uh, I don't quote me, but I think they had a run at the state championship. Wow. If not, I think they won it that year. Don't you worry. We don't fact check. Yeah, so yeah, yeah good. You're good. You're good. Fake, fake news. Champions. Fake news. <laughs> that's running the, that's running the world via social fake media. Fake news. All right, so I'll throw it out there. I think they won a state championship. <laughs> Hey, I have a question, um, because this is a very intriguing thing that you revealed. My question is, what kind of people were these were these gentlemen? Like, what, like you know, we yeah. get to know them as a basketball player. Like, what, like I know they were young, but still, yeah. like I like to appreciate it from a real personal. Yeah, what'd you yeah. see? Sham was like unbelievably confident, but not arrogant, which was mm. really, really interesting. Some kids are arrogant, 
and they don't know that they don't know. Right. So then they make mistakes and okay. they, they just, you know, they make mistakes in their personal lives, they make mistakes on the court, in the classroom. Sham was different. He was intelligent, or he is intelligent. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he was intelligent back there then with me, and he was confident but never arrogant. Like wow. he never came across like, I'm better than you or I know more than you. But but, I, but I'm a bust your ass. But I'm a bust your ass. <laughs> you're not better than me. Right, right, right. And, right. Um, and he just had a confidence to him. And if he felt like you can help him, he was always like, "Hey, come work with me." Wow. And that always stuck in my mind. He was a, he was a good kid, and just super confident. And there were other kids who who had false bravado, mm. and, and they mistaken bravado and arrogance for confidence. Mm. And and it was like those guys didn't warrant that because they weren't that good. Right. Mm. But Sham, on the other hand was the opposite. He was confident, he did not have false bravado, and he was intelligent, and he worked at it, so he knew that I've been working Monday through Thursday, so I'm gonna play well Friday, because I put right. the work into it. Right. right. And then Ron was really interesting. Ron was like super smart, and he was on the honor roll. My best story about Ron Artest back then was, we would play pickup after school, mm -hmm. and um, he, you know, he's a freshman, so the varsity team was pretty good, and he just wouldn't get picked as one of the 10 guys. You know, no one really knew who he was. It was yeah. only the first two weeks. Right. You could tell he's pretty good, but, you know, he's not as good as these guys. Right. And so he would sit in the corner, and he he would do his homework between games. Okay. So one day, the way I found out was one, one day I kind of realized, like, this is the third consecutive day when we dismiss him that everyone grabs their backpacks except for him. So I'm like, Ron, where's your backpack? Where's, where, where are your books? He says, I don't have them in my locker. I said, well, you got to – it was your homework. Mm -hmm. He says, oh, coach, I'm done. I did it. So, you know, you're a teacher and you're like, this, there's no way this guy did his homework right. because he's been here with me all day. Right. And then I said, all right, no problem. So I just kind of quietly just, you know, accepted his answer. But I kept observing him every week. And what he would do is he would never get picked the first two games. And what he would do is he'd be in the corner. You could see him Banging writing. it out. He's wow. writing. He's doing all his homework. And then he would play. And if he lost, he'd go back. He's writing it out. And for those two hours, he would do all his homework. Wow. wow. And I said, you know what? Ron is okay. Wow. Yeah, most people don't know that about Winter World Peace. I, I, I would have assumed never. that. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, the, and I met him one time, and what, after I met him, it was you know, after his pro career had ended. Sure, yeah. And I was like, okay, now this is a different kind of person. Because the, the persona that you got from him, especially, you know, unfortunately with the malice of the palace, that like yeah. stamped like a certain stereotype that you have of him, right. you, you, there, there, there is an intelligence about him, and yeah. there is hard work outside of just ball yeah. that you can you can see bleed out. But yeah. it wasn't the case necessarily when you see him on TV. Yeah. So he was that's very interesting. No, right? he was great. He was, you know, what he was. He he wasn't superficial. Mm. You know, my other story about him was I was at St. John's at the time as an assistant. So this is, you know, you fast forward like ten years now, and I'm an assistant in the Big East, and then he's at this point he's established himself in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And he's maybe in his fifth year in the NBA, and he's doing great, and he's on his second or third contract, whatever. And he comes home, and, and the, the manager says, hey, you know, Ron Artest is downstairs. Oh, great, bring him up, you know, send him up. Hey, Ron, what's up, man? Give him a hug. And he came in, he just had some regular shorts and, and just like a regular T-shirt. Like nowadays, the kids have like the dry fit. Right, right. right. The gear is important. Right. And he didn't, he didn't, right? he didn't look true. the part. He just had like, you know, Regular just, stuff. Yeah. And he's like, hey, coach, I want to work out. Yeah, great. Come on, let's work out. I'm going to bring you St. John's gear. He said, I just need socks. So, all right, whatever. So we, we brought him socks, but we also brought him, like, St. John's gear. And he was, like, real adamant about, like, oh, man, that's cool, man. I appreciate it. I just need socks. And wow. really, he he was just, like, about the work. Mm. He's like, thank you for the gear. I just need socks because I already got a shirt. 
It doesn't have to be a fancy shirt. Right. I got shorts. They're not the nicest, but they're mine. Right. And at the time, he's making like $10 million, so. Yeah. I'm going to argue with this right. guy. But he's like, you know what? I just need some socks. He put some socks on. And then at the time, our pra- we had a brand new practice facility, and our offices overlooked the practice facility. Mm. So you could look down on them. And you could see him just like working, him and like two other guys, on just fundamentals. Catch, square up, shoot, shot fake one dribble. And then he'd go in the weight room and lift for like 40 minutes, go back on the court, go back in the weight room. Wow. So, you know, you learned a lot about Ron and why he's been able not to not only, you know, make it to the NBA, but the reason why uh, other teams and other players want to play with him. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't necessarily want to play against him no. sure. because he had a motor, he's got a toughness to him. Yeah. But everyone in the league said, man, if we can trade for Ron Artest, if we can get Ron Artest right. to Kobe Point, or Kobe Bryant's point, like, yo, we got to get that guy. Because mm-hmm. really, he's committed. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not superficial with the gear. Right. Like, I, I want my fair share because it right. is professional right. sports. Well, he's making ten million. He's making yeah, nothing to argue there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he uh, he didn't roll up in a you know Mercedes or it was just like hey right. man I'm here and I right. think he took pride in shocking people that way. I think wow. he enjoyed jumping out of a Honda Accord or yeah. something wow. and it's like yeah what are you doing? Super unexpected. Yeah, yeah. I think he enjoyed that. He enjoyed that process. So uh, <laughs> so I think that makes him unique. He's different that, that way. You know what? Let me tell you, like, um, it, this is a real pleasure of doing this show, this podcast, excuse me, because we get to see the 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 grit, what happens beyond, you know, yeah. like, you know, with the super, the, we get to all see them play ball. We get to see the stories unfold before us on television, but right. it's that background. It's that, yeah. what, what, what got them there? Because yeah. there's, for me, like, you don't just come up from nothing, you know, Correct. like the Sham God and our test, they have a story. What was it? What, yes. what does that set them apart? Yeah. Because we have a lot of talented people, but they put in the work. And they put in the work, man. That's a really, really, yo, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, man. no, that's it's, a it's, uh, it's one of those stories, uh, both of those guys, that you, you want to share, yeah. but you don't often have the platform to share it. You yeah, know, you're that's busy, what we're here for. Running. That's yeah. what we're here for. So it's uh, <laughs> it's ironic that I'm doing this because I love those stories about those two guys. Wow. That, so selfishly, you know, my brother and I, and I'm, I'm going to say this, we say it every now and again, but like that's one of the main reasons why we're doing this. Cause yeah. You hear sometimes through like fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth parties right. these stories, and you know how the telephone game works, right? Yeah. Like by yeah. the time it hits you, <laughs> it, it went from Joe Blow to Michael Jordan, right. you know what I'm saying? So like you can't really call what, what right. happened. Right. So I feel like especially here in the Tri-State, like there's so many of these things, and you have so many notable names that come out, but there's also a treasure trove of other people that yeah. might have played with these big elite people right. or yeah. had their own legacy established that you don't hear a ton about. Yeah. So like having it from all these different vantage points is like gold to us. Like, yeah. That's the kind of shit I'm just like, yeah, yeah man. It's funny because, uh, you know, if I didn't do this podcast with you guys, like most people would not affiliate me with Sham God. Or of Ron course Artest. not. Right. Of they course not. know that we interact of course or not. across our paths. For to sure. this day, I speak to Sham. That's really? Dope. To this day, I talk to him. He calls me. Nice. He's with the Mavericks yeah. Okay. Yeah. in the NBA. He's right. like their skilled development guy. Yep. That's to this so day, cool. I talk to him maybe once a month. We have a really oh, good relationship. Dope. Yeah, Sham is the best. That, yo, you know, listen, I grew up, we grew, both grew up, you know, idolizing Sham God. You know, like yeah. every street person on earth was yeah. trying to, everybody, yeah. you know what I mean? For us, especially in the street ball game where it's like the right. random park, he's iconic. Yeah, you no know doubt. what I mean? So, but like to know of his modesty, to know of his humility, to know of him, like just. He's one of the best guys I've Yo, know, I've man. seen people that are not worth yeah. the spit, you, you know what I yeah. mean? He's a good dude. And man. think they're the man. Yes. 
Yes. And for that is yo, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I got Shout it. out to Sham God. I hope he got you some question. No was, doubt. Was he hitting people with the Sham God when he was working with you for a little bit? I'm gonna tell you what's funny, right? Like <laughs> this is this is the young coach in me, mm-hmm. and really this is how brilliant he was at that time. He would do some of that stuff, and uh, you know, glad. Hopefully, if he if he ever watches this, thanks for not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> I would say to him like, you can't do that. That's not fundamentally right. sound. Right. And he would like he would just kind of like, yeah, sure you can. And I'm like, no, you, you can't do that. You got to go, you know, right to left crossover or left to right crossover because if you throw it out there, it's, you're going to expose it. Mm-hmm. And he, he would just look at me and be like, no, you can do that because his mind saw angles right. and saw the game in a way that, that the normal guy couldn't see it. Couldn't see it, yeah. And then what happens is when, when, you're, when, he, when, he, when you interact with a guy that's brilliant in the way he was at that moment, it's hard to understand his his um, frame of mind, frame of mind, right. and how good he is right. because you're so used to hey left to right, right to left, right. and then he comes with this unbelievable perspective, this unbelievable angle, and then really it was like throwing a curveball for the first time, right? Yeah, people play baseball. You, you're used to for a hundred years just throw it, mm. and then this one guy says you can do this to it, right? And it's like how did you do that, right? And then it's like do it again, and it's like yo, did you see him do that, right? That's kind of what Sham did. It was wow. like he went right to left, left to right, and then he, he said, no, you can do this. You can throw it and get him leaning, and you can pull it back. Wow. And it's like, do that again. Let me see that. <laughs> <laughs> so to he, this day, I mean, that's one of the most brilliant moves. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. If you that's can execute incredible. that properly, oof. Oh, it's incredible. It's, and, and the fact that he was able to do that, like, in real games in high school and then able to do it. In the NCAA in the, in the tournament, like yeah. it was unbelievable yeah. that he was able to pull that off. I remember, like even before he uh, joined the NBA, he was the talk of the league. He was like people were trying to emulate his mm-hmm. moves, yeah. you know. And I yeah. was like, wait, Sham God has, has his footprint yeah. all over these people. No question, he's like like renowned in that sense. Like yeah. his name trumps. Like it, okay, for me, he's got to be. What do you rank him in terms of handle? He got to be like one of the top three top handles three? of all time. I, I mean, period. Top three. I, I don't even I, know. Like I'm thinking good. Tim Hardaway, yeah. but like Sham God is right there with his hand. Yeah, no, right? he's he's tremendous. <laughs> he's yeah. sick. So so Chuck, so thank you for that story. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah. we spent a lot of time on that, but there's a lot more to get. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you obviously you came to St. Raymond. When was it in your in your life? When yeah. was it that basketball became a significant piece of of who you are? You know, I was uh, I grew up in the Bronx, yeah. South Bronx, by uh, Yankee Stadium. And um, when I was younger, you know, it's, it was so different than it is today. Today you got AAU ball and, and kids play indoor and you got trainers and specialized sneakers and all this stuff. Yeah. Back then, you know, I know I sound like an old dude, but like you just went outside and played. So one of the things that attracted me to playing was, you know, every, every time the Yankees played at home, because I, I lived like four blocks away and they played at night, they usually play like a 705. Mm-hmm. And then the sun's going down. What happens is they would the Yankee lights would, would light up the courts. Oh, yep. So we knew we found out if you get there around five forty-five and start playing, you would have this crowd because they're just going to the game. But then they would see these kids playing, and you know some of them having a few drinks, some yeah, of them yeah, were hanging yeah. out. So then they would just kind of hang out before they go in the game. And then what we realize is we got a crowd. You got an audience. You got an audience. So you make a move, you're just hooping, and then you hear the reaction. Whoa, yeah. And you're like, ooh, that was cool. It's like, I want to do that again. So you go through your legs. And back then, the, you know, one rim was always smaller than the other or shorter. So one rim was seven and a half feet. The other one was nine. Mm. So you can get there and dunk one. 
and then you hear the reaction and, it, and you felt something. He's mm. like, ooh, I like how that feels. Hmm. And then that, I, that got me involved. And then I said, I like playing basketball. This is fun. And then there was a guy here when I was in eighth grade at Sacred Heart Middle School named mm -hmm. Gary Massey, who went on to play at Villanova, yep. who became defensive player of the year in the Big East. And a guy that played with him was uh, Michael McCarthy, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Ray Echoes and Fred and Lucky Mack, all these guys. And someone brought me to a St. Raymond's game. And I saw Gary Massey like, like you know, lob dunk. And I was like, I want to do that. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that, but I want to do that. And that was really the first time I fell in love with like St. Raymond's. I saw the uniforms, the orange and blue, and there was a passion here. And I lived, again, across town. Yeah. So really the school to go to in my neighborhood was Cardinal Hayes, right. mm. O'Hallows, who they were really good at the time. Mm -hmm. And St. Raymond's wasn't quite there yet. And, right. and Gary and Mike and those guys didn't get the credit and still don't get the credit that they deserve. But St. Raymond's at the time wasn't the cool school yet. Right. It was Powell Memorial, it was Talentine, Cardinal Hayes, O'Hallows. So Gary didn't get the attention, but I remember coming to a game and I saw that and I was like, I want to be there. Hmm. I want to go play at St. Raymond's. So who was your coach? My, when you came my here? coach when I got here um, was uh, Gary DeCesar. It was, okay. So I played for Gary, and then Gary had myself, uh, Mike Thompson, Eddie Rivera, Daryl Reed. Mm -hmm. So Daryl Reed was like the guy, the sophomore on that varsity team with Gary Massey. Gotcha. And he was like the talk of the town. He was like a, a six foot two, stocky, strong guard, could stroke it. Really, he's one of the all time greats here, mm -hmm. and people don't realize how good he was. And most people affiliate me with Eddie Rivera. Okay. We were two Spanish kids. Right. At the time, there weren't a lot of Spanish kids playing. And we had a good chemistry. And then that chemistry grew throughout the city. And it was like, man, it's two Spanish kids at St. Raymond's who were pretty good in the backcourt. Hmm. And then that, that thing, it's amazing because of all the things I've done, Final Four, National Championship game, all that stuff, I think most people from New York affiliate me with Eddie Rivera and St. Raymond's. Oh, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So how odd was it? I mean, you mentioned that was the storyline, like all the, the Spanish kids. Yeah. How rare was it to have good Latino basketball players in your era in yeah. high school ball here? Yeah, there weren't many. It was, it was me, Eddie Rivera, and there was a kid named uh, Danny Torado. That name was he at St. Raymond too? No, he was at that a name school. sounds familiar. Yeah, he was at a school, uh, Our Savior Lutheran? Lutheran. Okay. And Danny Torado was this five foot ten electric little point guard, mm. and he in today's day and age with social media, he would be having videos. Okay. He was throwing the ball behind his back, through his legs. He was wraparound passes. Was he a street wow. baller too? Yeah, yeah. That's why I know his even, name. Yeah. Okay. So Danny was tremendous, and then it was me and Eddie Rivera. That was it. There was no other like Puerto Rican, Dominican. There were no other kids hmm. um, in New York City um, that played. And now we got good at the right time, and and we were able to showcase our talent because we, we played against Talentine, who was yep. really good, yep. Malik Seely and those guys. So yeah, yeah. when you played well against them, it was like, yo, he's got to be pretty good. Right. You played well against Kenny Anderson, it was like, oh, he's got to be pretty good. And then Christ the King was was loaded. Jamal Faulkner, mm. Jason Williams, all these guys. So if so the league was so good that at the time we weren't household names in New York, but by the end of the season we started to build a little name because there were so many opportunities. So it was like, man, you see the kids at St. Raymond's, they beat right. they beat whoever. So, so, yeah. And Eddie had fifteen and Chuck had fifteen. So then the word got out like those kids aren't bad, man. Mm. So were you 
were you guys, I mean, by the time maybe junior, when, when did you move up to varsity? I moved up as a sophomore. Sophomore. So as a sophomore, I was on a varsity with Michael Thompson, who, mm-hmm. who him and Daryl Reed were like our anchors. Okay. And Daryl Reed was like a high-level guard, and then Mike Thompson was this super athletic six-foot-four wing. And then Eddie Rivera was like an, an underrated point guard, like ridiculous how good he was. So, and then I was a part of that, and I was just kind of a piece to that. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was energetic. I, I had a little bounce to me. I can get to the rim a little bit. And it was just a chemistry. There was a synergy between all of us. And Eddie and I would ride the subway every day because mm-hmm. he was he would get on the six train uh, three stops after I was already on. Okay. So there was you know there's no phones. So back then we would always you just coordinate. You well, know what time you had to yeah. be there. Yeah. yeah. So right. yeah, I'm on I'm gonna be on the seven thirty train. Right. Jump on the fifth cart. Right. Nice. Damn, I remember that. Wow, dude. Yo, (laughs) yo, that's how you did it, man. Yeah, there was no phone. So (laughs) so I was like, yo, Ed, yo, I'm going to be on a 730, which for you would mean the 745. Right. It's 15 minutes later. Right. And then, yo, one, two, three, four, on the six cart, jump in. And then, you know, doors open up. Yo, come (laughs) in. That's dope, man. So that's how we connected. So that chemistry every morning and on the way back after practice for 30 minutes allowed us to grow. And it allowed us to, to hang out and spend time together. And then, you know, it reflected on the court. I just want to say for all the young viewers out there or listeners, I mean, there was life before cell phones there and was. social media. It's, it's hard to believe. <laughs> that was an example yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I have a question of that. Um, and so my thing is, like, you mentioned a lot of powerhouses back then. Yeah. And uh, you guys weren't known yet, even though you were making yeah. your grounds. Yeah. What team, if at all, stood out to you as far as like the greatest competition? Like, damn, I didn't want to play those guys because it was tough. when I was at St. Raymond's. Yes, there was there were so many good teams, man. Because remember, back then, prep schools didn't really exist. Right. right. So like every kid from New York stayed home. So right. like you had Kenny Anderson on one team, wow. Ralph James on one team, wow. or Dan on one team. Hmm. Like you had two pros at Malloy. Wow. And then you had uh, Malik Sealy, Adrian Autry, Brian Reese at Talentine. And then, you know. It must have been a nightmare to play. Every game was like. It was awesome. And then, you know, the you team. Were, you were coming up when Power Memorial shut down and in that transitional period, right? Power Memorial indirectly helped St. Raymond's. Really? Because what happens is the kids that, that, when the school shut down, all the kids at Power, they're looking around. Right. Where am I going to go to school? And a handful of them came here. Uh-huh. Wow! So that kind of elevate they they added to Gary and Mike McCarthy. God. Wow! So then that allowed them to kind of elevate. Oh, and that was a little bit that. of a cheat code. There. Yeah, 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 we'll take it. Yeah, Shout we'll out take to Power Memorial, yes. man. Yeah. Okay. So when those guys shut down, some of those kids came here. Okay. Wow. So then you know there's a buzz, right? Like, hey, this kid's going to St. Raymond's. Right. And then Gary Massey and those guys were really the un sung heroes of St. Raymond's basketball because they weren't quite there yet. Yeah. And my group, I think, is the group that connected Gary's group, the pass, to the next group after us that took off, which was Terrence Wrencher, Orlando Antigua. Wow. You know, that group took off. Right. And then at that point, that became it became a national program. Right. And then here comes Kareem Reed and Eric Harris. And then here comes uh, Ernest Brown, mm-hmm. Vaughn Hunter, Majestic Matt. Julius Hodge. Now the thing is like national. Right. So I think our group was the group that 
kind of locally, at least in New York, was like, Sam Raymond's is a cool place to go. Oh, I see. Chuck Martin and Eddie Rivera, those dudes are cool. Right. Gary Massey was already good, but no one really recognized him because it wasn't Not a cool school. place. It wasn't a school yet. Right. So by us coming there, it shined a light on Gary. Mm. Ironically, because he was better than everybody, right? But he, but they, he wasn't getting his just due. He wasn't getting his just due, right. and, then, and then as we became successful, and then Terrence Wrench and those guys became successful, it shined a light on Gary Massey. Like, yo, this guy's Big East player, uh, of, uh, defensive player of the year. Where's he from? He's from St. Raymond's. Right. He's one of ours. And it's like, oh wow. And then he ironically got his due after he played. Right. That's mm. funny. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you approaching like you know your senior year, you guys were buzzing. Things were different than when you started out at St. Yeah. Raymond, basketball-wise. Yeah. When was it that things kind of tipped in your favor as far as, like, college recruitment goes? Like, was that early, or when did that occur? I think, again, in my sophomore year, we had so many opportunities to play against good competition. So if you struck out once, struck out twice, mm. struck out three times, for you know, lack of a better term, baseball terminology, like, you knew that, that if you didn't play well against Christ the King – that's okay. You're going to play Malloy. You got Kenny Anderson. Oh, because there's so just so many good yeah, teams. Yeah, so you didn't play well against Kenny Anderson. You're going to play – you got Jason Williams. You got Christ the King. Mm-hmm. If you didn't play well against them, you got Brian Reese and Malik Seeley. So you kept having opportunities. So for me, my sophomore year, I had one or two games where, like, people came to see other people. Mm-hmm. And one of those games was at Christ the King when they came to see Jamal Faulkner, who was a tremendous player, and uh, Carlos Easterling and all these guys called Beckett. Um What's my man's name? He's a guard. Khalid Reeds, mm-hmm. who went to Arizona, Reeds, who yeah. played like 10 years in the NBA. Yeah, All those guys came to see those guys. And wow. on that particular night, we lost. But I had like 36. Woo-hoo! So then that night, it was like, okay, this young kid's not bad. And I probably <laughs> wasn't as good as that night. Yeah. But I was okay. And, and that night kind of got me some attention. Right. And then all the coaches back then, all the college coaches come to the game. So then they start writing you letters. And then before you know it, you had these boxes of letters from Big East schools. Mm. And it was like, ooh, this is pretty cool. This is happening. So that your sophomore season, you started to get those letters. My sophomore year, wow. letters were coming in. And they were generic letters. You know, hey, Chuck, my name is whoever. Yeah. We're excited to, to you know, uh, monitor your progression and your process, progress. Um, go Friars, Providence. Mm. You know, go St. John's or, or Villanova. So, so that, not not necessarily offers of no, but like but we have an we're eye watching on you. you. And it. really, it was a byproduct of I was a byproduct of the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because the league was so good on any given night. Uh, Rick Pitino, uh, Luke Carnesecca, Ron Rutledge. Uh, Jay Wright was an assistant at the time. Mm-hmm. At any given night, they can come to, to watch someone else, but indirectly see me. So I was a byproduct of how good the, the, league, the league was right. and how good the city was. Right. So I knew that, right? I knew, like, if I play well against Kenny, like, someone's going to say, he's not bad. Kenny right. was a super good, yeah. but, man, Chuck got 15 He was holding game. his own. He right. was okay. Right. So that allowed me to kind of say, all right, maybe I'm not Kenny Anderson, which I wasn't. Right. But maybe he could play Division One somewhere, right? And that's what that's what the Catholic League and that's what really New York City back then did for for guys like me. The competition was so high level that you always had opportunities. And if you were Kenny Anderson, you had an opportunity to prove to everybody that I'm number one because right. I'm gonna go dominate Talentine. Right. And if you don't believe that I'm the deal, I'm gonna go dominate Christ the King. Right. So whoever the best team was, oh, I'm gonna go to New Jersey. I'm gonna dominate St. Anthony's mm-hmm. and, and Bob Hurley. So, like, 
the opportunities were there for everybody. Right. If you were supposed to be number one, you can prove that you were number one. Right. If you were a guy that may be a borderline Division One guy, you can prove, no, I'm a Division One guy because the opportunities were there. How would you describe your yourself as a player? Like, were you an attacker? And uh, You know, I was one of those guys, like a hybrid guy. Mm -hmm. Like, if I needed to handle the ball on that particular night, I can handle it. If I Early on, I was more of a slasher. Mm -hmm. Like, my freshman year, Eddie Rivera, Daryl Reed, they did most of the ball handling. And I was just clever enough or shifty enough to kind of, you know, maneuver my way to the basket. Right. So I was more of a slasher like my freshman and sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And then as I start to understand the game, I say, okay, I'm not going to be able to get to the rim against Malik Sealy every night. Rest right. in peace. I'm not gonna, mm -hmm. I can't yeah, get to him. Peace. He's just too big. Yeah. I can't get around Brian Reese. The guy's got a 40-inch vertical yeah. <laughs> So now i got to figure out how to shoot the Jimmy. And right. then I started to get better with the jump shot. And then I started to gain confidence in my jump shot. And then I can hear the um, people giving me feedback. Yo, that kid can shoot it. And that kind of encouraged me. And then I learned how to play off my jump shot. Shot fake, one dribble, pull up. And then I was able to kind of formulate my game that way. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy for me because at that time, there was so much talent, but you were still developing your game, yeah. kind of adjusting it. And I, I, I don't know, for some reason, because we don't see it today anymore, like that huge conglomerate of talent all mixed in in one. Yes. My thing is, is how were you ever intimidated? Were you ever, or were you always confident, like, I got this, I don't care. Kenny's superstar, this guy's, were you ever like, yo, son, what am I doing here? <laughs> am I, like, should I be, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, I'm listening to the story and I'm like, yo, you, yeah. you went, yo, Malik's, oh my God, yeah. like, what were you like? No, was... you know why? Because because the times were different back then. Okay. So like there was no there was no real separation in the '80s. And what I I love telling this part of my journey. Back then, right when you when you were in the '80s, you went to the playground. There was no adult to tell anyone the 15 year olds are going to play with the 15 year olds, uh... the 16 year olds <laughs> going to play with the 16 year olds. Right. It was like if you're good enough and you got enough courage. Yo, I got next. Right. And then when you called next, you you had to deal with. There was always like a 21-year-old hood that could hoop, but he's a hood. Right, right. And you had to so tell him. looking for the smoke. Yeah, and you, and you had to tell, yes. And you had to tell him, like, I don't have you. I'm not picking you. And that, yeah, and that, you know, so nowadays, kids don't, they don't understand that dynamic. They don't understand how to interact with people. They don't mm -hmm. know how to, how to manipulate or move and shift. So back then, you know, I'm 14 years old. I grew up in the South Bronx, and there's like, Four of us who were 15 to 16 and thin and skinny like me. Mm -hmm. And then there's like three grown men. One just got out of jail. Mm -hmm. and he could hoop. <laughs> yeah. He could play. Yeah. Right. And his team lost. And he's pissed. And he wants to play again. Right. So he automatically thinks. Skip. Yeah, he's like, yo, man, I, I'm on. And then, you know, I'm looking at him. I'm like, I got next, <laughs> nah, man. Bro. I've been waiting for 30 minutes. And then in your mind, you're like, oh, bro. Here we go. How am I going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you learned, right? Right. You learned right. how to, like, tell this guy, like, no, man, I'm not going nowhere. Right. And then that guy said, man, I, man, I'm on this court. I'm going to slap you. I'm going to do this. Right, right. But you figured out how to survive it. So when you figure that out, you know, like playing against Kenny Anderson or Malik, mm. it was a different mindset. I wasn't mm. afraid of them. I clearly respected them. For sure. Yeah. But there was no fear because I just survived my neighborhood. That's what's, yo. And there's yo, a guy who's yo, locked up, I wanna give it up who says, I'm going to slap you if I, if you don't put me on a team. Right. And yeah, I'm I like, damn, it. I got to put this guy on a team. And you maneuvered. And I maneuvered that. enough to make him feel like 
this little skinny dude is not a fighter. Everybody in the neighborhood knows he's not a troublemaker. Right. right. But he's just tough enough. If you push him in the corner, he may hit back. He might get you a few right. times. You know and then after a while, those guys are like, you know what? I respect Shorty, man. Yo, right. man, man you got good. next. Right. Good. And then I'll be like, oh, man, thank God. <laughs> I did not want to fight that guy. I tell, I tell my, my daughter, my daughter's 12. My oldest is 12. Mm. I tell her all the time, I'm like, yo, y'all don't understand what book smarts are compared to street smarts. Yeah. Like, people understand those terms. Right. Applying them, yeah. she don't get it. Yes, because I, I like your ex, your example right now is a perfect r- yeah. you know, rationale. Because yeah. like you gotta you gotta be able to predict how you're gonna move, when you're gonna move, that's right. Who you're gonna try to punk? How you're gonna address somebody? That's right. W- looking behind your back, like all these things, you gotta have that second nature. No question. She does not have a clue about yes. it. And I try, and I, you know, obviously the times are different. We live in a very different environment no than question. the Bronx right. now, yeah. thankfully. But like. I, you know, I, part of me is always like regretting the fact that I can't give her that Bronx yeah, element. Yeah. Because we kind of, you, you were talking to Sturgis about it earlier, yeah. but it's, it's, you kind of want them to, in, you know, be involved in that a little yeah. bit just so, so they can understand yeah. how to deal with those situations. No question. Because right. it's vital. And I'm sure that's played out very well for you throughout your career. No, it's, it's allowed me to succeed. It, it's allowed me to, to have success on and off the court. And because uh, I've been able to, thank God, grow up in that neighborhood mm-hmm. and be able to manage personalities. Cause you know, if, if you've got necks, you figure out like there's two guys on a court who lost, both of them are hoods, but one rocks with me, mm-hmm. one likes me. Mm-hmm. And, and that one happens to be tougher than that one. Right. So right. I'm gonna rock with him. <laughs> and if that guy gets loud, he gonna say, yo, Shorty's my guy, back right. away. Right. So I was able to figure that out and say, I'm gonna rock with Jay. Right. Jay's gonna protect me. And without the embarrassment of like, oh, Chuck, you got punk. It's like, what? The other guy didn't say nothing to me. Right. Like he didn't say nothing because he knows Jay's with, Jay's with me. And I knew that. Right. So, but it's chess, that, man. It's, it's chess. chess. <laughs> it's chess. And really, there was no one there to say, you know, the guys who, wear, who weigh 90 pounds, you play on <laughs> you the over there. 90 pounds. <laughs> it was like 90-pound guys with guys who just got out of Rikers. They were like, <laughs> good luck. Good luck. You got to survive it, man. Like... Yo, you know, I love that story because it's so real. Like, we grew up, you know, having necks and, you know, having people try. Like, everything you yeah. went through, I'm like, damn, that was me at 12, 13, yeah. us at 12, 13, yeah. 14. And, um, you know, even then I had to learn. I learned to be tough in the court because right. I was like, listen, man, I, I wasn't looking for the fight, but right. I'm not, all right, man, I guess I guess you're going to have to. That's right. You're 21, I'm 16, we're going to have, you're going to feel me today, though. No, that's you right. Go, you, that's won't, right. you might get your face scratched, yeah, you know, that's right. but it's going to be one hell of a scratch, though. <laughs> It out. You're gonna be like, damn, I should have never fought this guy. Now my girl gonna think oh, whatever. That's funny. But anyway, um, I, I just wanted to like reinforce like it's so dope because like I said, the whole being intimidated factor. Yeah. And something that kids in it's not even about the hood, it's just in general, like everyone's yeah. stuck on social media. Yeah. We're ultra sensitive sensitive in society. Yeah. You grew up now in a world where you had to like courage your way through, kind of yeah. audacity your way through, yeah. like, yo, I I'm here. Yeah. How is it now as a I'm fast forwarding as far as the coaching thing, but is it completely different in terms of what you're seeing, what you're coaching versus who what you are, who you ex, what you are and what you've experienced as a as a youth yourself? Yeah, it's different because you know back then there was a there was an immediate at times dangerous reaction back to you. So, back then. Back then. Right. So like like if you weren't careful and you you really got loud with a guy 
and that guy was a real killer, like you get hurt. You right. get your box rocked. Like, he ain't fast. talking to him. Rocked. He's going right. to knock you so out. So this is not social media when you, you know, I'm not going to follow you. <laughs> <laughs> yo, <laughs> everybody <laughs> needs to hear this, yo. Yeah, this is not yo, social media where you said I'm not going to follow you. This got to be the clip for you. Right and I'm, uh, I'm going to put an emoji that I'm mad at you. <laughs> and call you, uh, call you punk. And then you send me back a bad emoji back to me. It wasn't that. It was yo, like, if you, if you made a bad decision. Decision on the court, and the guy that just got out of Rikers, and 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 you try to fake it like you're a tough guy, you could get hurt. Yeah, and they so, and they know that easy. And they, yeah, they know so, fake the, Yeah, so you knew like okay. The thing I thought back then was you were honest. Right. You were always honest with yourself, mm-hmm. and you're like okay, I can't mess with that guy. Right. That guy's a real killer. Right. He don't want to hurt you, but if you hit him, Chuck, he's not going to hit you back. He's going to put you down. Right. Right. So you knew that. In today's day and age, I think. Because they they don't it's not really their fault mm-hmm. because of technology yeah, yeah. they don't get a chance to interact and they don't get a chance to develop those skills those right. social skills right so they think that they can just send an emoji and say <laughs> you know hey I'm tougher than you <laughs> and and then ironically that guy sends a a, a meaner emoji right and then no one gets hurt right so then it encourages cyber thugging yeah. <laughs> So it encourages the behavior of like, I can say and do what I want without any ramifications. Uh, right. But back then, if you said something that was out of pocket, you were gonna get slapped. Right. Yeah, you gotta live and, with that. And the neighborhood just kinda knew like, yo, Chuck, you are out of line. Right. The dude right there is a big dude, and he's a street dude. And everyone in our neighborhood knows he's a street dude, and you knew too. And you reacted, you, you shouldn't have done that. Right. And that was your lesson at that point. You came home with a black eye, it's like, I know, this is embarrassing. But I know not to mess with that guy right. anymore. You learn. And you learn quickly. Mm-hmm. But today, that, that, that lack of interaction or that lack of, uh, of holding you accountable. Accountability. You yeah. say something, I just say something meaner right. On, right. on Instagram. And it's like, okay, we're even. <laughs> you know? You know? <laughs> you said something earlier that I, I wanted to make sure we got back to. So in your day, and I'd say, I'd argue probably maybe even in, into like the early 2000s, New York was still a hotbed for, for basketball, Big time. right? Big time. You still had a, a good amount of folks that stayed local, yeah. went through the high school process, yeah. etc. And then you saw this huge ex, mass exodus, right? Yes. Now prep schools dominate. Yes. You know, we as New Yorkers rarely ever know that a product from New York is playing or, or you know is a standout somewhere. You right. gotta dig through a whole bunch of information right. Versus before, it was very cut and dry. It was right. like, this kid from this neighborhood, right. in this section of the New York, this is who he is. Yeah, that's right. What do you think? Prep schools I get, right. right? But but something was lacking d- here locally yeah. in the high school environment that allowed prep schools to come in. What do you think that was? Um, I think for a long time in New York City, whether it was the public school or the Catholic League, there was a consistency with the coach. Okay. Whether you liked him or didn't like him, you agreed with his basketball philosophy or disagreed, he was the coach and he had been the coach for 20 years. So so if you were looking for this style of play, then that kid would probably gravitate to that program. Mm. If you were looking for this style of play, then he would gravitate to that program. And then, you know, those coaches got older and then they, they retired. And what happened was those coaches had a, um, again, whether you agree or disagree, yep. they had a way of doing things and, and everyone else around them respected that. They're like, don't mess with the coach at, at Ohio's. Right. Because this guy's going to fight back. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with Gary DeCesar, right? Because Gary's going to bite back. Right. You agree, disagree. You, it was just kind of like set in stone. 
when those guys got older and they retired, a new crop of kids or kids, young guys came in to coach those mm -hmm. programs. And some of those programs were like iconic, legendary programs. And when that happened, all the outside influences said, this is the time to jump. Uh, this is the time to get in there. So like, like no one would really mess with Gary because Gary was willing to fight. Yeah. So you weren't going to come in and take a kid from here and put him at a prep school unless Gary was like, you know what? He needs that it's academically. Better him, yeah. It's better for him. But the days of like coming in and saying, I'm going to take that kid from St. Raymond's when Gary was here, not happening happen. ever because he was going to war. Uh, Coach uh, Murray at, at Cardinal Hayes, he was going to war. Coach Carey at, uh, at Ohio's oh, going to war. Talentine, going to war. Like, you were not coming in New York City trying to move guys. Hmm. But when those guys got older and they started to retire and, and move on, they were a bunch of young guys who were good coaches, but they weren't established yet. And, and for those 15 to 25 months, there was a window hmm. of vulnerability. And during that window, Everyone on the outside says, we can grab that kid. Swarmed in. We can pull him out. We can influence. We can convince mom and dad that their son is better off here. Mm -hmm. And then once one kid left, another kid followed. The problem, one of the challenges was that when, when one kid left a program and someone poached him from that coach, in my opinion, yep. the other coaches in the city did not fight for that coach. Because they felt like that's your problem. Yeah, you got my, punked. You got hey, punked. Whatever. My argument was to all of those guys was, you could be next, and you're mm -hmm. gonna be next. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna happen maybe today, but in two years. So, so I think I was right. So slowly, there's a deterioration of the Catholic League, the the PSAL, oh. and New York City basketball. Because you know we're, we're a band of brothers. Yeah. But if if you let Chuck get punked, then they say you know what you can punk him too. Yeah, this guy's next. Yeah. So wow. that kind of happened in New York. Wow. And no one really stood up for each other. Mm. So then what happened is they don't see it. It's a gradual uh, deterioration. Mm -hmm. All St. Raymond's maybe not as good anymore. Oh, guess what? Ohio's is dropping. Mm. Christ the King is dropping. And really, because they're taking the players, right? And they they didn't defend each other. They didn't they didn't rally around each other. Wow! And so the outside forces said, like, you know what? You can infiltrate New York City because no one's we, gonna fight for each right. other. Wow! Yeah. Wow! You, you, you just like laid out some like Game of Thrones logic. Oh, right? I know. Yeah. It's, like, it's literally that. It's, like, it's almost like um, war tactic. It's yeah. like, all right, you find the weakest area and yeah. you go exploit that, and then yeah. everything else should fall. When I was growing up, and and, and the coaches that I mentioned. Uh, Mo Hicks at Rice, mm -hmm. right? Like, he was tremendous. So like Mo Hicks, you know, Rice St. Raymond's rivalry hated each other. But when it was time to rally around New York City basketball, all the coaches kind of put their differences aside. And really, like most of us, right, it's self-serving. Sure. Like, man, I don't want that to happen to Gary because that can happen to me. Right. Right. I don't really like him and he don't like me, but I got to defend him. It's a greater good here we're talking about. We got to stay connected. Right. We can't allow people from the outside to come in and take our guys. Right. And then when, when Mo moved on and Gary moved on and all these other guys moved on, you could see it happening and no one was willing to defend their brother. Mm. And then really New York City basketball just kind of. I just feel like um, there's a correlation between what you just spoke of and the differences when you were growing up as far as, you know, like there was a, a level of integrity. Yeah. E even in the, even in the, in the mass hysteria, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. yo, like let's respect, like I'll just see you for example, right. you stood up to the big bully of the block yeah. in a ballpark, let's say, right. 
there's a level of respect there. I you did know? pray though. I said, yeah, no, but, but <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is in the hoopla, another person yeah. like, oh, well, I'll just knock, you know, like, right. like he's standing his ground though. Let's right. at least give him that. Even That's though right. I'm not going to let my guard down here because then I'm going to look like a punk. Too. Right. But what I'm saying is that there's an in, embedded, I don't know if it's good character or integrity about the coaches when you speak of them in that yeah. light because we often spoke on this on this podcast of right. like why New York City basketball is kind of deteriorated in that right. sense. Often. We brought it up many a times. Yeah. And like my brother said, you brought up like a Game of Thrones kind of blueprint yeah. as to the reason for it. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a correlation between the type of people we're dealing with back then from your era, let's yeah. say, and the differences. You know there. what? The people today are not bad people. Right. You know, right, right, right. They, um, they're, they're good people, good coaches. I think what's changed, and one of the things that's changed is um, entrepreneurship, I guess, if, if, if for lack of a better term. You know, back then, you just kind of sat back and you were invited to these camps and you were invited to, to these uh, high-level elite camps. Mm -hmm. And what happened was people started to learn. They're watching quietly. There's a, there's a young 15-year-old who maybe is not a good basketball player, but he wants to be a coach and he's watching. And he's saying, okay, that's how you do it. That's how you assemble a team. Right. That's how you go to Nike. That's how you talk to Adidas. Mm -hmm. That's how you go to Under Armour. So he's listening like, how do you, how do you formulate a contract? Oh, okay, cool, you, could, you, you, can, you can have an AAU team. So prior to that, you just, you just took everyone's word for it. Right. Like, right. Hey man, listen to me, this is how, follow my lead. Right. And I'm established, I've done I'm, this yeah. before. So what happened was, as time went on, those young guys, they're watching, they're looking carefully, and they're saying, ooh, I can do this better. Mm. That's, I love the way Riverside, the Gauchos did it. I can take this nationally. Mm. I'm, gonna, wow. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have my own AAU team, and I'm gonna go travel to California. And then, and then before you know it, the Gauchos, Riverside, they're going not only to California, they're going to France. They're going over, they're going over to the Italy. world. They're going yeah. over the world. So these young guys, and again, that's not a bad thing, but then every time someone made a chess move, to your point, someone else is watching too. And they say, ooh, I can do that too, and I can do that better. Right. And then before you know it, with technology, social media, and, and access to technology, we don't need a studio. Your studio is your imagination. The yeah. studio is a classroom. The studio is wherever you want it to be. It could be on a street corner. Yep. As long as you have the product. And I think what what people start to realize is I'm the product. Mm -hmm. I don't need ABC News to interview me. I'm the product. Mm -hmm. I, just just roll the camera. Right. right. And then let's right. go. And then I think that that became a good thing for a lot of people, but it also helped deteriorate uh, uh, the leagues in New York. Because everybody, indirectly, without any bad intentions, yeah. were trying to like do their own thing. And by doing to the their detriment own, of the of, of the greater of the good. Yeah. Right. So man, I like the Catholic League, but if I can do this and I can and I can, you know, have three of your kids play with me, yeah, but it's gonna hurt my program. Yeah, I know, but I can do this in Italy. Right. I'm gonna do this. Right. And and I think that's part of it. And that's a credit to the people who who were able to figure that out. But uh, to your point, it's it was a detriment to 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 the league a little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit, I because it. it was no longer local. Right. It was no. like, hey, you, you you can you can play in Italy, like like I can go play in Italy. Right. You're from the Bronx. Right. It's like how you, that's that's super compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. want that. Yeah, I want to play uh, when the Gauchos played the Russians in the Gaucho gym. That was like mind blowing. Right. right. It was like 
you couldn't comprehend it. It was like the who? She's like, no, they're playing the Russian national team. Yeah, seventeen under. That that. So someone's watching that, and someone's right. saying, ooh, we can do that too. Right. Mm -hmm. I can talk to you guys. Say, play with me. Well, well I, you know, I already play with a team. We play in Dykeman. We play here. I'm like, yeah, no, no, we're going to Russia. Right. And it's like, ooh, that's different. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> right. I'm in. Right. So when that that was one of those moments, and I know I'm jumping around when the Gauchos yeah, played fine. the Russian national team, it was like, oh, this is global. And they're playing them right in the Bronx. Right. And it's like, like it's like on TV, it's on ABC News, like there's Russians in the Bronx. <laughs> so you know people are saying, we can return the favor. And then not only can we play in Russia, we can play in Brazil, we can go all over. Mm -hmm. And then we can collaborate with the sneaker companies and say, we're gonna wear your your product. And, and our young 15 year old, who's gonna be in your league or right. the NBA, he's gonna, he's gonna wear your product for five years without you having to pay him. Right. And then that thing just exploded. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, another thing I was gonna say was, um, there's another, like, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if there's like a, a parallel. When, when it comes to the idea of Russia playing here in the Bronx, right, at that time, was there some sort of like a, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm like lost right now, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm lost, I'm lost. You blank? Yeah. <laughs> Well, when you come back to it, don't be a bloopers real, right? So I actually, I wanted to take it. So you mentioned, well, we were talking about how you know New York City's talent pool seems to be less than right than back in those days. Well, they're just not playing here, here, right? Locally, when you look, is there hope for there to be kind of a renaissance almost in that regard? So because. Again, I, I tout this as the mecca of, of basketball podcast. That's that's how I tout yeah, it. Yeah. Intentionally because I'm I'm trying to relive those mecca of basketball yeah. days of New York, right? No question. And and I feel and you know, I I go to St. Raymond games, I'll right. go to CHSAA games. Right. The talent is there. Yeah. There's no, some studs no playing question. still. No question. Not to the, you know, four, five, you know, th two, three players that are league bound. Right. But they, they can ball. There's talent, yeah, no doubt. So th my hope, I mean, I'm seeing the talent. It seems like there is a, a possibility. But nationally speaking, how does that compare to New York City talent? You that are a coach now the that's the observing talent everywhere. Yeah, no, the talent, like the New York City talent is is really, really good. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that they're not playing here. So so what you do is they're, they're sprinkled all over the country. Mm. So now D.C., I'm using D.C. as an example, but right. it could be – Virginia, they're taking credit for teams that are dominant, but three of their kids are New York City kids. Right. right. So, so it's like, man, did you watch uh, Oak Hill? Man, Oak Hill is awesome. Yeah, I know. They got Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony from He's a New York City, yeah. right? So it's like. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's, that's taking place. And um, so the talent in New York is still great. They're just not consistently staying home and playing here. And they're giving other cities and other states and other programs programs the credibility. But if those kids chose to stay home, um, it would it would come back. It'd be the renaissance of, of this resurgence of New York City basketball. Now I think this is why I was excited when you and I initially talked about this because it's cool to kind of share these stories with with some of the younger guys to yeah. kind of let them know like yeah, New York City basketball was awesome. And it still is, but there was a time I just watched Felipe Lopez, yeah. Dominican Dream. Like, they show footage of St. Raymond's and uh, yeah. Rice. Yeah. Like, 
I, I told my son, I said, watch this documentary because, you know, you always talk about New York City basketball. Right. And I sound like the old guy. That right. It's funny because they look at you crazy, right? They look at me crazy. Like, Come on, man. Stop playing. Yeah. So I said, look at the documentary so you can see there's an energy. They were, they were grown men mm-hmm. who worked down in New York City in Manhattan who, who had shirt and tie. And when they walked through the door, they put on a Rice jersey on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this guy's married. He's got kids. kids. And then there's another guy who's married with kids. He would walk in and he put on St. Raymond's jersey. And you're like, what are you doing? You're, mm-hmm. you're 35. But there was a pride of being an alumni from St. Raymond's. And they're rooting for Kareem Reed or, or Julius Hodge. And the other guys are rooting for Felipe. Mm-hmm. And and that was awesome. So I think what you guys are doing, kind of telling these stories, creates an excitement. Yes. It creates an energy. And then more importantly, what you do is you connect, you connect my little journey with this other guy's little journey, yes. with this other guy's little journey. And before you know it, you got a string of history. Oh, yes. And then now it's like, ooh, okay, man, that's pretty cool. Yes. I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's 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 something that's been connected. Like the idea earlier when you were talking about like gauchos and stuff, we've had people, every single person that's come on has some, some way, shape, or form connected. Like yeah. you're telling stories of reason, like we were debating why has New York City basketball fallen and yeah. all that? You've given us the literal answers. Yeah. And I wanted to say something about earlier. This is what I forgot to say earlier. Right. The, um, it, okay, every coach wants to win. We're talking high school now. Correct. Right? Right. And it's got to feel like, you know, okay, if, if you get poached, like you said, right. um, you know, you want to win. Even though, yeah, you're my brotherhood, blah, 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 I want to win. Because at <laughs> right. the end of the day, I'm on the newspaper, right. um, you know, probably better, better recruitment, etc. Yeah. The, the whole kit and caboodle. Right. So I think that speaks even more volumes of the character of people that we had. And again, I don't know what the heck that is. Yeah. What is that about? Because to be poached and to say, wait, I'm going to fight for my brother here. Right. And now nah, I ain't going down. I don't think that this, that generation that came after could see the bigger picture as in terms of, we all win or or we all lose. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, because I'm going to be honest with you, hearing the story now, I couldn't have known looking back, right. yo, fight for your other brother at that moment. Like fight yeah. for your fellow, fellow coach. coach. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have known because again, the idea is to win. Yeah. You know what I mean? By yeah. any means. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to bring up is when it comes to the Oak Hill thing with Carmelo Anthony. Right. Cole. I, sorry? Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony. Sorry. Right. When I look at all these high schools... I think Melo did too, right? Yeah. Melo yeah, did go yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when I say that, I say, I look at Oak Hill, they're on ESPN, for example, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you think about it, I look at that like Alabama and college football. Yeah. There are... And, and then, then you got Duke in North Carolina and not to, you know, game, shout out to the Gamecocks, but you know what I'm saying, where I'm going with this. It's what I'm saying is there's some known commodities, enterprises in these sports, right? Yeah. That are just globally known that... If a player gets on there, his chances of going pro are significantly increased. Right, right. I wonder if that has more to do with the idea of just turning pro as opposed to giving the, the, the credit where it's due as far as our own backyard in New York City. Like right. They have a feeling like, yo, if I go to Oak Hill, yeah. I'll go, I'm going to be seen nationally, so yeah. I'll go to the next big college, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I, yeah, I think today it's grown into that because right. I'm, I'm good friends with Steve Smith. The head coach has been there forever. Mm-hmm. He does an unbelievable job. So that program, like like any other program, it's evolved, right? Sure. It's become like this national, global it's a who's who who's played there, right. but I think the the uh, the initial intentions of because have you guys been to Oak Hill? Never, never. It's like in it's 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 like it, Disneyland for basketball. No, it's it's uh, I mean it's in a really good way. So oh. Steve watches this. <laughs> it's like in a small little town. Right. 
there's nothing around it. Wow. There's there's a gas station, you know, it's it's one that, stop light town. Yeah, it's that image that you have, right? Yeah. So there's there's it's not a fancy gym. Oh, it's okay. a small little gym. Um and really I share that because I think when Steve and those guys first got the program going, it was really to help kids. There's this they, we got a small little program in a small little town. I want to coach, meaning Steve, I want to be a coach. And all of a sudden there's a kid from New York or Detroit or inner city who, man, he's got a he's got issues with his parents or academically or whatever. And this is a great way to kind of let's help this kid. Mm-hmm. Let's put him let's pull him out of a tough situation, right. a tough environment, and let's let's isolate him here where he can focus in on academics and basketball. Mm-hmm. And what happened was they became a a uh, they became successful right. because the word got out and said, hey, man, you know, Steve and those guys really helped that kid. That kid would not have made it because he comes from a, a tough environment. Mm. There's, um, there's substance abuse in his family. He's uh, he's learning disabled, whatever the issue was. Right. It, the intentions were, I don't think at the time, was to become a powerhouse. Got it. it was like, we like to play basketball. We like to coach basketball. And if you happen to have a kid who, who we can help, bring them. Right. And then that rep, they did right by those kids. And at the same time, every time they did right, they gained more credibility. The multiplied so effect. Then, yeah, so here's another kid. And then every year, the kid got better and bigger and stronger. And now you're starting to have pros. Mm. And then, so I think today, Oak Hill is different than it was when it first started. Mm. I think they, like any other school, the mission was let's educate, let's help, let's give, uh, let's give these kids an opportunity. And I think the mission is still the same today, sure. but there's more pop to it. The notoriety is just crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Cool. It took it's off. Cool. It took off. Damn, I really wanted to hate them. Now I can't hate them. Yo, you can't you hate know, them. You can't hate them. Was that, I, I, I'm wondering right now, I've never seen a high school with that kind of like magnitude in terms of national scale. Like, yeah. We've heard of St. Raymond. We've heard of yeah. our own local. Right. But like but not on a national ESPN, level. like. Right. Have you ever? I, I don't. I can't. Well, now you hear about then, more, but back then, I, I can't think that remember. was the more dominant one. I don't ever remember. But to hey. to our point of this conversation is, uh, there was a huge turnover in New York City basketball with the coaches. Well, Steve Smith's been there over thirty years. Wow. So there's a consistency. Guys. I get so it. Now, that no, makes a lot of right? sense. Right? No one's gonna poach his guys. No That's one's a good gonna point. Pick on him because he's established. He's done right by guys. Mm-hmm. So every time you do right by them. They go back to the community and say, yo, Steve's my guy. Yeah. Right. So there's no turnover at Oak Hill. Right. He's been there for 30 years, so he's established. And, and so now the the program evolves. Right. It grows and no one messes with it. I'm going to tell you something. I think for, for everyone listening, I think we just sold Oak Hill even more. If they had any credibility, <laughs> hey, look, they got it more. So I say Oak Hill, but the other prep schools too. This, it worked, it Not backfired. just Oak Hill, it, the it, other program. It backfired for New York City, but we got, we got more work to do, y'all. I'm sorry. No, but check this out. You said something earlier at the yeah. very beginning that I think resonates very much here as far as how we can potentially get this back here or at least, yeah. or at least make it pop more than it has, right? right. So like, you mentioned the talent, the people, the kids coming out of New York are still very. There's a lot of talent. They're just being spread out all over. If a few of those big dogs got together and said, "Yo, we're gonna go rain down," or four of them, two of them went to one school, another school, yeah. that could be the seeds that start this whole thing over again. Yeah. it's kind of like you know the the big the big three when LeBron, D Wade, yeah. and, and Bosch got together. You group up like that, right? This there's no telling. How yeah. how crazy and 
again, going back to the Felipe Lopez thing, Felipe was the king of New York that's in right. that day, yeah, right? That's right? That means a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. for you to be a high school kid, being on top of the world, like, bro, that's not, we're not talking about you're the king of Rahway, New Jersey, you know, or a small town somewhere. Like, right. you're the king of the biggest city, in the, like the capital of the world. Right. right. If you can do that again, right. even if you are a bust elsewhere, right. that is a legacy. No question. Right. Yeah. And so to me, it's like, yo, let's bring that back. Parents, don't go for the easy money, man. Yeah, like, yeah, let's yeah. let's try to figure something out. Right. And, you know, you don't have to. Like, if it's necessary for you to go to one of these prep schools for whatever the issue is. Yeah, yeah. No, there's legitimate reasons for yeah, it. Of course. But of there's, course. There's not a, you don't have to. Right. You can achieve um, getting recruited at a very high level from some of the best programs in the country right here. You heard it here from South oh, Carolina right assistant yeah. coach. Absolutely, yeah. I mean. You can you can do it. Like the 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 coaches and the universities are gonna follow the talent. So right. if the talent stays here at St. Raymond's or or Christ the King or any of the local schools, then we're gonna come here. Yeah. You don't you don't the the thing that that, that people I think have a tendency to forget is like you're you're the product. You know, yeah, you, people come the, to you. You're the one that creates the the, the fanfare. hysteria, the fanfare, it's you. It's not necessarily the, the jersey. Right. right, but I think I think a couple of things. Like like I said earlier, they're on ESPN, yeah. speaking of Oak Hill. There's yeah. a lot already that's in their favor. Correct. And if you're uh, Joe Schmo, who's uh, feeling himself right now, yeah. he's like, you know what, I just seen Melo in, 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 in Oak Hill. I could be Melo. I'm better than Melo. Yes. I'm better than Melo. I'm taking my ass to Oak Hill. Yeah. I'm going to show you that I'm better metal. Not only that, right. I see you on ESPN the next year. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be on Sports Center. That's, that's you know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to What I'm saying is in all seriousness, it's tough to compete with that. Yes. We're talking about a huge enterprise right here yeah. versus my look. And then add to that the lack of consistency with the New York market in terms of coaches. Yes. And, you know, like you said, comparing 30 years to people, that the turnover is great. Like, Every day, yeah. There's no continuity building, and on top of that, are we a brotherhood of collective coaches where right. we got each other's back? Is right. that there? I don't even know. Like, I got we had to do an interview with more coaches to yeah. see if that's it's, even true. Uh, you know, it, I think it could be. I think one of the things you can do or try to do when you're trying to, you know, bring back that that New York City basketball, go play, go play to Oak Hill, try to schedule Oak Hill. Mm. Now, granted. You know, they may be loaded and, yeah, and, and, and they have too much going on. Tough challenge. But be. what happens is, you know, if you can figure out a way to just say, "Hey, I'm gonna play Oak Hill every year on national TV," eventually, what happens is, I'm gonna catch up mm. because it's about opportunity. It's going back to the '80s, like like St. Raymond's caught up to everybody because you gave me an opportunity. So That's I right. lose to Talentine, I lose to Christ the King, I lose to whoever, right. but you keep giving me an opportunity, I figure you out. I'm getting better. That. And then here comes St. Raymond's, and then all of a Yo. sudden you bypass everybody. So in order to do it, you know, we may not be as deep or as big or as strong as Oak Hill, but play them. And then- You keep, start figuring it out. You start figuring it out, and then you get the exposure, you get the notoriety, and then there's gonna be a kid at St. Raymond's or Christ the King or one of the local New York City teams that the rest of the country's gonna say, that kid's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I know. I know the guys at Oak Hill are really good, but that guy's not bad. Yeah. And then here it comes. 
you know. Uh, that just means next year, St. Raymond is playing Oak Hill. Baby, <laughs> oh, ESPN. You heard it here first. You heard that, Coach Lowe? Yo, Lowe Lopez. <laughs> Yo, and guy, I, need, I need some tickets. Two, two tickets, Lopez. Oh, that's funny. You know how it go? Lowe, done deal. These guys forced me to say that. Yo, man. that's it, baby. I don't want to put any pressure on you. That's right. ESPN. <laughs> blame, blame these guys. That's right. Me. I'll take all the play. Just give me the tickets, too. That's fine. So, so, you're at South Carolina. Yep. You're a Gamecock assistant coach. Is it just coincidence that Frank Martin and Chuck Martin are on the bench together? Uh, you know, I got lucky. You know, I've known Frank for a long time. And you're both Latino? I know he's yeah. Cuban. Yeah, we got a Cuban and a but, Puerto Rican in right. South Carolina. It's got to be a knock-knock yeah. joke somewhere. Yeah, there is. Knock-knock. <laughs> what can you find in South Carolina that you can't find everywhere else? Oh, Puerto Rican and a Cuban. So, no, Frank and I have known each other for 20 years, man. Wow. And uh, we were one of the few – uh, the only two at the time, I think, like Latinos in, in Division One basketball. Mm, right. He was at Northeastern at the time, and I was at um, Manhattan College. Okay. So that's kind of how we met. So ironically, we have the same name, but most of the world knows us by different names. Mm. Most of the world knows Frank by Frank Martin. Right. Oh, but okay. really, his name is Francisco Jose Martin. Okay. Oh, okay. Most people know me by Chuck Martin, and but really Jose. my name is Jose Luis Martin. Right. So we got the same name, wow. but the world views us as Chuck and Frank, but right. really we're Jose Martin. Right, right, so there's right. a, there's a crazy story there. But yeah. Frank and I have known each other forever, and we, we created this bond because we were one of the few guys in the business. And... Uh, it's not like we hung out every every day, but when we saw each other on the road, you acknowledged each love, other, yeah. and then you would root for him, right? Like he, as his career moved on, you root for him, and I felt like he kind of rooted for me. And then you fast forward twenty years, he he has a, an incredible run in the NCAA tournament, yeah. right. goes to the Final Four. He's mm -hmm. one possession away from playing for the national championship, right. and uh, I'm at a restaurant rooting for him. And then, you know, the game's over, they lose, but they had an incredible run. And then not knowing two weeks later, his assistant takes a head coaching job. And then a mutual friend of ours, um, we're both talking to him. I'm speaking to him on the phone and Frank's calling him. Mm. But he's not he's not clicking over. Right. And, and so Frank texts him like, yo, what are you doing? Like, yo, bro, I've been calling you all day. You're not going to call me back. And, and the guy, our mutual friend says, uh, you know, all right, give me a second. So he, he clicks over. He said, well, I've been calling you. Why aren't you picking up the phone? He says, I'm on the phone with Chuck Martin. And I think at that moment, the light went off in Frank's head. Like, Chuck from New York? He says, yeah. I said, what's he doing? Because he was so caught up yeah. in the Final Four run. He didn't realize that we got let go at in Indiana. Uh, he says, oh, I'm talking to Chuck. They just got let go. He says, give me his number. And that's kind of how it. Wow. Yeah, wow. This was happening after, right after. No, you said two weeks later. That, yeah, like, that phone call happened two weeks later? Yeah, but like, you know, like 10 days after the Final yeah, Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm but watching still uh, I'm, on, <laughs> I'm watching TMZ to see the gossip. So I'm on the couch and a, a mutual friend calls. Yo, what's up? What's going on? Hey, a few people have inquired about you. Um, but I, I still, I was still okay with Indiana for a year. Okay. So right. that, that kind of alleviated some pressure off of me to, to like hit the ground running, try to find right. something. I, I had the luxury, thank God, to kind of take my that time. Severance to yeah, figure it out. So yeah. I kind of, I'm at home. I'm watching TMZ. And, <laughs> And like, you know what, let me let me disconnect from basketball for like just chill and just be a regular guy. And then Frank calls. He's like, wow. he's like, Chuck, what are you doing? And I remember saying to him, I'm sitting in my couch watching Watch TMZ. The TMZ. You know? We started laughing. He's like, yo, come down, man. Come down to, to South Carolina. Come see it. You know, see if you want to do this. And then yeah, I came down. It was great. The weather was awesome. Palm trees. They just went to the Final Four. Right. 
Uh, I know Frank's a good coach. I can learn a lot. And there's chemistry. What's that vacation area down there? They got a Hilton Head. They got Myrtle Hilton Beach. Hilton Head. You guys are right there, right? Yeah, like an hour and 15, hour and 20. I drove nice. by there. Yeah. The, the Masters. Is dope. Yeah. You know, uh, golf. I mean, it's an incredible place, South Carolina. And ironically, tons of New Yorkers live down in South Carolina. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know Quality of life, yeah. um, uh, property, mm-hmm. and so when you go down to to, to Hilton Head, Myrtle Beach, um, Charleston, yeah. which is tremendous, a bunch of New Yorkers who uh, did well up here financially moved down there, opened up restaurants, bars, and they're just made their money stretch down there. Yeah, yeah, you can feel it. You can feel the New York vibe down there. Really? Yeah. I have a question because um, I don't have any uh, real experience in South Carolina. Yeah. But I did drive the Carolinas with my uncles with my uncle once yeah. uh, when I was a kid. We had an ordeal at a gas station in North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Going, my uncle goes in to get gas. Right. I see the gentleman pull a shotgun, right. put it behind himself. Right. I look over there, I said, we're going to die. <laughs> right. This is it. This North Carolina right. is over. Right. We just got stopped by police. Like, <laughs> Stay true. Bro. Like, like 30 miles ago. Right. Like, this right. is not going well. So North Carolina. <laughs> not and a then, good trip. <laughs> and, then, and then on the on top of that, if that's not enough for me, I was already right. petrified. We're the only people that look like us. Right. Anywhere right. in sight. Right. right. And already, like, that's the right three strikes in a lot of right. places. I wonder, because of my naivete at this moment in time, yeah. did you experience what anything of that nature of what I speak of as far as being a Latino and yeah. being the only one you know that looks like you in a space? Yeah. Is that is that more prevalent? Because I know New York City, we're like, we're mixed. So yeah. New York is not like any other place. So right. what do you feel like that when it comes well, to contrast? And, and no, you know what? For me, it's, it's different because I see the world, uh, I guess, through different lenses. Mm-hmm. So... Like, I've moved around so much mm. because of uh, basketball. I've been able to live everywhere, right? I lived in uh, in New York, metropolitan area, in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. UMass, uh, Memphis, in the Mid-South, Indiana, the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So, really, what I've learned over the years is when you're coaching or you're playing, for the most part, you're you're like in – you're insulated in a bubble. Uh. So, what happens is you, you, you have a routine that has been consistent for – for 20 years. I get it. So it's like you wake up in the morning before I had kids and before there was Starbucks at the <laughs> Cafe Butello. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but it was coffee. And then now Starbucks, so you do the same thing. You wake up, you go to Starbucks, you go to office. Now you got kids. You drop the kids off, you go to Starbucks, you go to office. Right. So I'm really insulated and most of my interaction are with other coaches mm. or other people in the, ah, or in the athletic it. department or right. a part of the uh, university, the community. Yeah. Right. So very few times am I going outside of that lane because really I don't have no reason to. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm not going to like, uh, hey, the neighbors invite us to a party. You know? right. And I'm like, ooh, that was scary. That, that's a really good <laughs> lane. Right? right, right, right. So I, never, I don't interact with – I don't get the opportunity to interact outside of anything – that has nothing to do with basketball. Right, right. Very few times. Now, my wife, because she's a social butterfly and, and she's involved in the community, she'll pull me in that direction. But for the most part, if it's a party or a banquet or a dinner, it's always related to the university mm. or the program, right. which which essentially becomes a safe space. Yeah. Right. You know, so... Right. so and you're like, you, I mean, by and large, because you're affiliated and you have a prestigious position within the team, you're almost like a community hero. Yeah, and I don't know about hero, but but you're you're certainly identified. Like they know who you are. Right. So you can be modest. I'm not gonna be modest for yeah, you. No, but <laughs> no, but I'm not a hero. But clearly, I'm not a hero. But, <laughs> but like you, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's almost learned behavior, right? It's yeah. like that's the coach, right? So right. when the coach is around, 
this is this is how things go. This is how things go. Yeah. So it's interesting because I always I've always had this um, this philosophy or mindset about me. I always said like if I take the gear off and I jumped on a four train, which I normally do, I'm just a middle aged Puerto Rican guy. That's true. Mm. That's all I am, you know. And if you don't recognize me from maybe oh that's Chuck from St. Raymond's or college, if I take the gear off, it's just like yeah that guy's just a Puerto Rican guy from the Bronx. Right. But when you put the gear on, it's like, yo, that that guy, that guy's a coach. That guy was in the Final Four. Like, this perception That's changes. Funny. So then the behavior towards you changes. That's true. Right. So 100% right. The, the assumption for better or worse is like that's a good guy mm-hmm. right but when you take it off it's like eh, he could be a good guy he might be a murderer he might know. just came out of right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I always find that fascinating that you know when I because I still jump on the subway I, I, I don't want to lose my edge I don't want to lose that that connection with the city and I and I love the reaction that I get from people or lack of reaction that I get from people by just being invisible mm, you know just right. take off the gear because when you have the gear on you're not invisible anymore. Right. It's it, it, we're making attention. Yeah, we, we're making I'm making we're making fun of it. You're not a superhero, but there's something about you. There's Yo, something special there. That's yeah. the assistant at, at South Carolina in Final Four. But when you take it off, you're just a six foot two overweight Puerto Rican guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's Damn. Like, yeah, it's like, lots of, of mofongo. Yeah. <laughs> you don't look overweight to me, man. It's I gotta get a shape, man. <laughs> but, um, but you know, you take the jersey off yeah. and you just become a very average guy. Yeah, I um, So I, I like not having the jersey on to see what the what the reaction is. Like, right. who, who am I when you take this off? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, who, how do people view me? How do I, what's my place in the world other than? I'm the coach. It's a, it's a good it's level step for yourself because yeah. you're so accustomed to being, you know, yeah. looked at in one way. Yeah. That's a, that's actually yeah. a great exercise. Yeah, I yeah. wish more people in high positions would do that. Yeah, I like yeah. doing it because it keeps you honest. Right, exactly. And uh, I, always, I always talk about I try to take inventory at the end of the year of who I am because I think who you think you are and who you are to the world, for the most part, there's this, a huge yeah, gap. You know, so if true. there was a Dave Chappelle skit, it's like it's like you think you're the guy, and when you leave the room, everyone laughs at you. You're right, like, that right. guy's whatever. Right, right. So you gotta you gotta gauge that. You gotta figure out like you know what I need to find out how they view me and what they think of me without the title. Yeah. So the only way I could do that is by taking it off, and then just exactly. saying, hey, you know, my name is Chuck, and what do you do? I'm a teacher, and then see how they respond to you. Because mm. really, I am a teacher. I view yeah. myself that way. For yeah, sure. For but, sure. But if you tell them you're a teacher at the University of South Carolina, it changes. Different. It because there's a learned behavior. Of this is how I should act with the coach. Yep. I gotta say, I've never heard anything like that in my life. Period. Yeah. <laughs> Full stop. I've never heard that. I'm different that way. No, I'm you know because <laughs> no because no because and then I'm glad I'm glad there's a such a humility that speaks back to what you've been telling me about from from the days that you played on the courts yeah, as a kid, that. and I think it, that shows that there that no, integrity I that I spoke that. about. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you because I think right now you're showing other people to like strip down your armor and kind of just be one of the guys for a second just to. Show who you are yeah, like, and how you affect the world. I think that's really powerful. If you if you strip yourself of of the logo, and and you can still influence and you can still have people gravitate to you without them knowing who you are. Yeah, it it it, it kind of lets you know. Okay, this is how the world really. This, who you think you are is true. If you if you if you think that you're this powerful, strong influence uh, influencer of or decision maker then take it off and see if people react to you, you that way. Still rock that way. They yeah. still rock with you. But that my, way. my whole thing is like I, I, now you may get a you may get the answer you don't want. The, the humble pie is coming. Yeah, yeah, but it's good. You know where you stand. Right. But isn't it easier to yeah. hide behind the shield? Hundred percent. Yeah. And, no and for you, 
like also add to that the ego like yo yeah. i'm a coach yeah you can't fuck with me you know <laughs> cops stop me they let me go <laughs> that ain't true but i'll play along with <laughs> you know okay well maybe yeah. not, maybe not south carolina but if you came and coached in new york i'm sure we could pull some <laughs> yeah i hope i hope all the police officers give me saint a break John, i think saint john's needs to coach something wrong, help me. Um, so but, chuck what 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 can we expect from the Gamecocks this upcoming season? Like, what are you guys cooking up that you can share? I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow no, you can't, but I think uh, I think we're gonna be really good, man. And what I mean by that is, I think we got some really good pieces in the program um, that are that are good enough uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, they have the capacity to perform at the highest level because really the SEC is arguably the best league yeah, in the country. Yeah, for sure. Years ago, it was like, you know, Kentucky, Florida, maybe one other team that was rocking that year mm-hmm. and the rest of the team sucked. Mm-hmm. Right. But today, there's five coaches in that league who all coached in the Final Four, won, right. won a national championship. Wow. Right. Frank being one of them. Right. Frank right. being one of the coaches coached in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. So the league is like ridiculous. The level of talent that's coming into the league is ridiculous. So I think we we have our own share of talent, and we're excited and proud of that. So I think we can make a run if we stay healthy. We can make a run in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think we could be super competitive in the SEC, and we've got we got a fun group that can get up and down. Is Zion's little brother coming to South Carolina? He is. I don't even know if he has Fake a little news. brother. I don't even know if he has a little brother. <laughs> I was gonna say, no, but he's from South Carolina, what's right? What's going on he here? Is. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, you guys missed, but. It's not your fault. Yeah, I, we that, tried. That guy, we tried. I'm sure. Yeah. You, you had better. Yeah, no, we Even tried. if you didn't, I want you to say that. No, no, we did. We tried. We had a home visit. And John Morant, too, is from. John Morant was a, I wasn't there yet, but he was an interesting story. He was a kid who was, a, you know, small town and, and didn't have the hype like, like Zion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, South Carolina had uh, P.J. Dozier, who's now with the Celtics. Yes. And Sundaris Thornwell, who's with the Clippers. Okay. And both of those guys were young. Mm-hmm. And this is the year before they went to the Final Four, but they won 25 games. Right. So you can see, like, this team's going to be good. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes timing in life is not great. So I I think the story goes that, you know, John, Frank was all over John Morant, like, loved him and, and hey, I want you. But I think at the time, if you're if you're a high school kid, you're saying, well, where am I going to play? Like, like, look at these guys. You know, PJ, PJ Dozier's pretty good, which yeah. he turned out to be really good. Right. And Sundarius wound up being player of the year. So if you're a 16, 17-year-old kid who's a junior in high school and you're saying, hey, come play with us, there's this sense of like, man, I don't know if I, I can actually do that there. So I think people see John uh, uh, today after four years or three years of like uh, building his confidence, yeah. uh, having an opportunity to play, showcase his ability so now he's ready to go now he's a star right. but you know four years ago he's still trying to figure out find his actually way find his way can i actually do this God. and so uh the story goes that I, we wanted him and and i think he wanted to come and he's looking around trying to figure out where can i go and and play right away and maybe impact the program mm-hmm. and if you're him what you saw was pj dozier and Sundarius, ah. and you're like well how am i gonna play with those guys those guys are potential pros, which they wound up being right. both NBA guys. Wow. Yeah. So I think a lot of people nationally, when they hear he's from South how did how did you not right. get him? They don't right. get the yeah. details. Yeah. And um, so Frank clearly loved him and wanted him. And uh, and I think the kid was just like, you know, he's still trying to figure it out, find yeah. his way. 
I mean, for, for the, and it worked out great for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I, um, just because I saw his run on the NCAA, I heard a little bit of his story, and yeah. uh, some of the things he said was like his father was encouraging him to like choose a team or an organization that you he felt in his heart was like the right fit. Yeah, because yeah. again, it's easy for a person to choose the Dukes of the world. Sure, North yeah. Carolina. I feel like every semi-decent kid wants to play on these teams right, yeah. which i'm a little sick of to be honest i'm right. like it's enough like right. uh you know back in the day again mullen was in st john's right. georgetown had ewing you know whatever happened to a little diversity That's but whatever right. whatever whatever lebron puts everybody on team and here we got it. <laughs> yeah it's lebron's fault it's lebron's fault <laughs> we're okay with that just come let's do it south carolina, south carolina. Yeah, do this south carolina. <laughs> we'll take that we'll take them all with us <laughs> we'll take them all with us. But, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, I'm not hating on it because uh, uh, the only difference is GMs back then, talking about the NBA now, yeah. they formed their super teams themselves. Right. And right. now the players are doing it. Yeah, so absolutely. it is what it is. It's a new day, new day no hate and all. Like, yeah. At the end of the day, you want to enjoy what you're doing. No so, doubt. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Uh, Chuck, thank you. No, I appreciate you guys I, having me. That I, was fun. We didn't really talk about Monmouth, and I, I'm sorry to. There wasn't much to talk about there. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I was just okay. But but we want to have you back. I want to do at some it. point because um, this just I know there's a ton, and every year that you're doing what you're doing, there's yeah. more stuff to share. So yeah, I love some to do point it. when we get more big time. We'll have you. We'll fly you in. No, you don't need to fly me All right, in. Fine. We'll Uber do you down. No, I'd love to do it, man. <laughs> no, nah, man, fun. I'll carry you. We'll each take a leg and we'll just we'll <laughs> we'll drag you, you on in. in. <laughs> I'm like, hey, he's <laughs> thank you, man. No, nah, this was awesome, thank man. Thank you, man. I appreciate I'm it. Thank you. This was fun. Thank I you so much, it. man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, man. I love being back home. And a big shout out to my man, Jim Sturgis. Jimmy Sturgis. He lost at least 50 pounds the last so. I don't know. Just throwing it out there, America. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribbling Dimes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D-R-I-B-B-L-E-N-D-I-M-E-S.